Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. that theme song. I sure do. Good day my fellow nerds, welcome to Science Factual, the show that delves into the fascinating facts behind your favorite science fiction. I'm your host, Lieutenant Commander Reese Hendrick, Sciences Division, and today we get into one of my personal favorites, Star Trek The Next Generation. And I know what you must be thinking. As a diehard listener of all two episodes of Science Factual, both episodes so far have dealt with Star Trek. What's the deal? What can I say? Other than I'm a diehard Trekkie. Phaser to my head, Desert Island can take only one show's catalog. It's Star Trek every time. However, in next week's episode, we take a deep dive into a show created by fellow Trekkie, Matt Groening. You guessed it. No, not The Simpsons, but the incomparable Futurama. Also, shout out to David X. Cohen, co-creator. Definitely check that episode out, coming next week. The aim of this first part, likely out of three that will cover TNG as a whole, is meant to introduce people to the series, dive into some lesser-known facts about the development and characters of the show. Now, there's simply too much to fit into a single episode, especially since you'll get to listen in on an interview I had with fellow nerd and Portland comedian Chris Hudson over... T.L. Grey, hot and fries at my father's place in Southeast Portland, where we met up before a superb open mic hosted by the very rad Michael J. Phelps. Now, without further ado, let's engage in some Warp Factor 10-level facts about the cast and crew of the USS 1701D. Again, this is just a scratch at the surface of the next generation and the myriad of social and political issues the show addresses. What we do aim to do is bring you some oh yes, along with some nuh-uhs, and even a water cooler fact you can impress your friends with. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! This is a spoiler alert. If you haven't seen The Next Generation in its entirety, or have a deep knowledge of Trek as a whole, you may find yourself lost in the Briars patch. And no, that's not an Alice in Wonderland reference. Or is it? Let's get into some show facts. Now, the show had a less than ideal start. Gene Roddenberry clashed with the writers and producers about everything that had to do with the show. From themes to characters and story ideas, so much that William Shatner helped create the documentary Chaos on the Bridge, which details the various issues the Next Generation set saw, and I highly recommend watching that documentary for some insights into how the cast and crew interacted with each other. The first episode is where we're introduced to the entity known as Q, played by the wonderfully talented John Delancey. He would go on to be a pivotal character throughout the series, as well as in the upcoming season of Picard, that would be season two, which I'm just thrilled about being that the first season was probably my favorite new Trek, quote-unquote, aside from Lower Decks, which is heckin' awesome. Shout out, Mariner. The first episode is also one of the few times throughout the series we see a saucer separation occur. Riker skillfully executes a, quote, manual docking sequence, much to everyone's surprise, but to be honest, there was still a lot of automation involved. I mean, that's like being proud of being in the driver's seat while your auto park car feature is enabled. Like, you were there, but did you really do anything? This critique, of course, coming from a guy who was never parallel parked a starship. In the first season, we also see in uh, episode 14, 
quote, 11001001, the initiation of the first, but certainly not the last, auto-destruct sequence. The title of the show in binary is thought to stand for the names of the binars represented in the characters from the episode, but uh, it's still up for heavy debate. Aside from number one, played by Majel Barrett in The Cage, or Menagerie pilots for the original series, and Spock being the science officer and technically the first officer of the Enterprise, we are introduced to the concept of a permanent command first officer character with William T. Riker. Now, the T does not stand for Tiberius. Unfortunately, it stands for Thomas, but we'll get into that in a bit. Played by Jonathan Frakes, who would become a pivotal member of not only the main cast and crew, but as a director for TNG and several other episodes for various subsequent Star Trek series and movies. Despite the numerous accounts of distaste amongst the crew of the Enterprise 1701D, the cast did actually end up having a long-lasting friendship among them. Brent Spiner served as best man at LeVar Burton's wedding, with Patrick Stewart, Jonathan Frakes, and Michael Dorn acting as ushers, which is pretty cool. Actor DeForest Kelly was one of the many actors from t uh, the original series to be featured in the Next Generation episodes, notably as a very elderly Bones who interacts with Data in the very first episode, Encounter at Farport Station. We, sh we see James Doohan as well in Season 6, Episode 4, Relics, where Scotty is recovered from a 75-year pattern buffer loop that he places himself in upon the wreckage of a transport he was on at the time of a severe accident. We see his interactions with notably Picard and Geordi throughout that episode. Now, according to StarTrek.com, Duan supplied all of the voices for the following characters. Sargon, the leader of the ancient alien intelligences who inhabit the bodies of Kirk, Spock, and Dr. Ann Mullel in Return to Tomorrow. M5, the multitronic murderous computer programmed by Dr. Richard Daystrom, in the ultimate computer, and it's still called the Daystrom Institute. Weird. The Melkoshian warning buoy inspector of the gun, and the oracle of the people, the ancient machine demanding obedience from the Yonadans, for the world is hollow, and I have touched the sky episode. Apparently there is a formula set to convert star dates into the standard calendar of our day. Taking into account the year 2364, reference point established in Season 1, Episode's finale. Uh, and no, it's actually not quite simple math. The five-digit stardate format used in the series calculates to 1,000 units per year. For example, the time span between stardate 41000 and 42000 is one full Earth year. Here's the formula for all of our math nerds who are listening. Take the last three digits, plus decimal, and divide it by 1,000. Then multiply by 365, 366 for leap years, and then you'll get the day of the year. I'm going to spare you an example, but there is an ample elaboration on IMDb should you want to prove or disprove that formula. The last episode of the series took place on December 26th, my birthday, calendar year 2370, star date 47988. Here are some stats about the show. The show spans 178 episodes over the course of seven seasons. There are four movies, from Generations, which tied in the original series, to Nemesis, which saw yet another one of Picard's bastard sons. We also have Insurrection and First Contact as well. The Next Generation brought forth the concept of the holodeck, a subject of numerous episode arcs, and is one of the most notable changes between the original series and The Next Generation and beyond. Reminiscent of Ray Bradbury's entertainment walls from Fahrenheit 451 and the simulation rooms mentioned in the Illustrated Man short story series, uh, Picard actually revels after his first real holodeck experience as Dixon Hill as exceedingly real. There are even episodes regarding the sentience and rights of hollow characters. Most interesting. Magel Barrett, featured in the original series and wife of creator Gene Roddenberry, was the voice of the computer in The Next Generation, as well as mother of counselor Deanna Troy. The transporter effect was filmed by stirring glitter and water and superimposing this effect over the desired transport area. Gotta love that editing magic. 
It has to be noted as well that not a single recurring Vulcan crew member was present throughout the entirety of the series. That isn't to say that Vulcans of note, such as Sarek and Spock, make appearances. They do. It, this is to say that there wasn't a Spock-like character ever present, except of course for Spock himself in Season 5's Unifications Part 1 and 2. This lack of a constant Vulcan presence was addressed in both Voyager with Tuvok and Enterprise with T'Pol. I would be remiss not to mention the show's creator Gene Roddenberry and writers Jerry Taylor, legend, Michael Piller, and Rick Berman, producers, and others. Uh, we're not going to get too much into the writing and producing staff and their many failings this episode. Uh, we'll certainly get into the motivations and implications of some of the more cringeworthy scripts throughout the series during our third part of the Next Generation episode arc here on Science Factual. Here are some famous actors who were present on the show. Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan, uh, she first inquired to be on the show before it even aired, but wasn't taken seriously until after the show started filming. Uh, she would be featured in, I would say, at least a dozen episodes. I don't know that to be the actual figure, but that seems to be about correct. Uh, if not more, closer to two dozen, perhaps. <clears throat> Robin Williams, uh, unfortunately, while filming Hook, was considered for a role as Dr. Rasmussen in Season 5, Episode 9, A Matter of Time. However, actor Matt Frewer, voice and actor from uh, the popular show Max Headroom, took his place as the wily time-traveling scam-slash-murderer. Mick Fleetwood from Fleetwood Mac appeared on the show sans beard in order to wear makeup that ensured that no one knew who he was. Uh, Ronald Reagan visited the set in 1991 and com commented that he liked the Klingons, quote, because they remind him of Congress, the filthy Patak. Now, Wesley Snipes was going to be tapped originally to play the role of Jordy LaForge, which I don't know if I could personally see. And with his reputation of being kind of a jerk, I am sure glad that we got LeVar Burton, a thoughtful and lovely man to play Jordy. Astrophysicist Stephen Hawking was visiting the Paramount lot and asked to see the Next Generation set. He was a huge fan, apparently, of the show, and one of the few notable times he left his chair in public was to occupy the captain's seat. He was later featured in Season 6, Episode 26, Descent, as himself, the only character uh, billed as such, where he participated in a poker game between himself, Data, Sir Isaac Newton, and Einstein. The Next Generation also saw its first Indian crew member, Assistant Chief Engineer Lieutenant, grade, Lieutenant Junior Grade, Singh, in Season 1, Episode 6, played by Kavi Ross, who was killed the very same episode. Now, I know you want to really deep dive into the facts about each of the characters on the bridge of the 1701D, but we're going to save that for the second episode. So stay tuned for that super deep dive. We're going to really get into the background and development of all of your favorite characters, I super promise. Now, the show wouldn't be the same without mentioning some enemies. And the show definitely doesn't have a shortage of enemies or foes that they encounter. From the Ferengi to the Borg, the Cardassians and Romulans in between, and the Frenemies, their Klingons, the Federation has no shortage of adversaries. In fact, there are but a few episodes that focus on personal development solely that aren't framed by the specter of a looming nemesis. I mean, they even have a movie titled Nemesis. But that has to do with the Remans and their Picard rejections on coming to overthrow their Romulan oppressors, and then some. Talk about your ancient Greek redux. We'll get into the nooks and crannies of the socio-political implications present in TNG in our part two episode. We now cut to an awesome interview with the very funny Chris Hudson, fellow Trekkie, certified multi-generational nerd, and comedian here in Portland, Oregon. Folks, we're just getting this show started and working out all of the kinks and knots. So please bear with us regarding the quality of this recording. You'll hear a couple of warbles, Nothing like a transporter psychosis, but present just the same. Regardless of that, enjoy this nerd session. Uh, may I have an iced tea? Yeah. Um, I'm okay for it. Right Thank you. Iced tea on a Friday night, my kind of guy. Chris Hudson we have with us here at my father's place. We're yes. going to be talking about Star Trek. The next generation. 
Yes, Star Trek The Next Generation. Is this where you play the theme song? I, I have already in the episode. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm definitely playing it more than once. Hell I, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm playing it right now. Do you do you play the beginning where um, Patrick Stewart? Oh, you have, yeah. Server? Oh, you have space. to. Space. Yeah, I'm banking on like. Not space. The final frontier. Not getting copyright infringement clauses sent in, to me in the mail. Space. Yeah, I don't think you'll have a problem. No. As long as there's something else going on. As long as Paramount Plus doesn't catch wind of it. Now now they own all Trek, I guess. Yeah, Paramount. Paramount's always owned all Trek. Yeah, Paramount. I mean, because they filmed the series with uh, movie cameras, mm. like, on a movie set. Like, they did it, it... And it shows. They filmed it like a movie, which is why if you have the 4K... Thank you. I stay. I should have asked for tea, Earl Grey hot. hot. I oh. fucked up. Yeah, already. It's just oh, can a start I curse? The, yeah, you can curse. Okay. I don't, I don't give a shit. Oh, cheers. Cheers. To you. This is, for those listening, this is tea, Earl Grey hot, but with ice in it. This mm-hmm. is a Romulan ale that isn't blue tinted. But yeah, they filmed it like a movie, so if you if you get the... I haven't seen the 4K. Have you seen the 4K edition? No, I have not. They like, also did it for DS9. There's like an HD 4K edition or something that... Apparently, you you watch it like the way that the cameras filmed it, because I guess they had to bring down the quality or whatever to be able to put it on TV. Because mm. you, you know how there used to be, um, yeah, the aspect ratio and all these. these yeah, this has been things. this has been formatted to fit your screen or whatever. That also means resolution wise, because tell you know TVs couldn't handle. The resolution that the no this was still yeah. the one where you turned it off it crackled at the end and like was hot to the touch for you know 20 minutes hell yeah that, that's how my parents knew when i was a kid that i was watching it too late at night they were like my dad would put his hand to them and like the static electricity would take over and betray me oh yeah okay yeah. like a tube yeah. yeah the tubes the tubes tvs used to have tubes in yeah. them. <laughs> god you t- you know kids who are going to grow up you know youtube they're it's just going to be lost on them they're going to think like a tube is like a hole you go down in the internet, which it is. But it is. The internet is a we're series. We're talking vacuum tubes, the kiddos. The internet is a series of complicated tubes that Al <laughs> yeah. Gore invented. Yeah. Oh, well, yes. <laughs> that That is probably my favorite boast of all time. Al Gore inventing the internet? Mm. Yeah, he invented the internet, and he also told us about global warming back when nobody cared about it. Right. When it was an inconvenient truth. <laughs> yeah. It was very inconvenient. It was so inconvenient, we fucking ignored it for yeah. two decades. You still are, basically. Yeah, I still are. So, anyway, all right. So, Chris, what was your first exposure to TNG? Well, I would have to credit... Uh, I would have to credit my, my dad for that. Um, it's the only time I'll give him credit for anything. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Besides the trauma source to new comedy. Uh... Yeah, I, I, I credit I credit my dad with that. He was he's a big he's a big Trek fan. He was a fan okay. of the uh, the original in the uh, in the seventies with with Shatner, and TNG came around right around the time that my dad would have been in his like starting to get to I guess mid mid to like late twenties. It's like he was the right age. Mm, yeah. He was the right age to be Definitely. super hyped about a new Star Trek. Like yes. he grew up with the original series. Yeah. And then by the time because because TNG eighty eight, I believe. Mm-hmm. First episode aired in eighty eight. That it did. That was right around the time that my dad was like the age of like like it's the age now where, where dudes get hyped on Marvel movies. Yeah. You know? And they get real geeked into it. Oh yeah. You know and they like I'm gonna do a whole stretch on the Marvel movies. <laughs> and too. they yeah. They'll watch the trailers and they'll break down every scene. Like that's right. the age my dad was when TNG came out. So then he was super hyped about it. Did he have a newsletter? Did he like send out a new- every episode? He would send out a newsletter to friends, like, <laughs> or like they're they're like playing D and D's. Be like, no, you can't cross over. This is mm-hmm. this is fantasy time. We're doing fantasy time. You can't do sci-fi time. It's, it's fantasy only. I think he definitely talked about it with yeah. friends, and I don't know if he was still playing D and D at that point, because um, he did play D and D. Yeah. Uh, good call on that. Yeah, there's nothing um, else to do. Well, right. Uh, I mean, that's one thing I didn't pick up. I didn't pick up D and I'm not a. I'm not like a like. I can hang, 
but I but I don't I don't go out and like you know the seek parties to right. play with because I don't have four hours to yeah. But yeah, a quest. But he he got super hyped on yep. it. I was born in '89. Same as. And then, uh, so then by the time I was I was getting older, like the two the two things I remember him being super hyped on Star Trek Star Trek Next Generation and The Simpsons. Mm. So those are two things that I was like born into that I that I ended up enjoying too. Like one year when I was a kid. And I lost uh, one of my teeth, the tooth fairy thing, yeah. you know? One of my presents from the tooth fairy, I got a present instead of money. Okay. One of my presents for losing one of my teeth was Star Trek Generations Ooh. on VHS. Great movie. Great movie, underrated. Great, 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 great bridge, gap, uh, bridge gap. Bridge gap between yeah. the two generations. It was, it was a great movie. I watched that movie so many times. Uh, definitely... One of the better Trek movies. I would say better than uh, Nemesis. Really? I would say better than Nemesis. Because I like, I like Tom Hardy as a little Picardy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they could have gone so many different ways with that. They could have. I, would, I, would I say think it was best Shatner's best movie performance. Generations? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. His, he, when, when he dies, he goes, oh my. And then he expires. I was like... <gasps> Shatner. I wonder if he's going to say that when he actually dies soon. So it might be, it might be neck and neck with Nemesis. I feel like it's a, okay. the plot is a little bit more developed. Definitely better than Insurrection. Insurrection. Yes. Insurrection was garbage. I think oh, everyone can agree. Insurrection is a TNG two-parter episode that they yeah. turned into a movie. Yeah. It's, it, if you put that, split it into two parts and put it into the series, perfect. Great story. Yeah. Great two-parter. But Hollywood movie. No. Like, no. could you make Farpoint Station a movie? Uh-uh. Runtime. Like, could, could you have made All Good Things, the the ending, you know, like, that, that I think, I feel like they could have extrapolated into a movie, even though it is a two-parter, if you will, or at least it has, like, the runtime of a two-parter. Right. And like you said, they filmed them like movies, man. Like, and Fr- Frakes was directing a lot. I think he even directed that episode. I think he did. Yeah, yeah. Frakes directed a lot. Um... He also got, I, I believe he got brought back on. Shout in, out Riker's beard. Riker's beard. Yeah, shout out Riker's beard. Definitely did not influence my, um, me wearing a beard later in life. Definitely <laughs> later in life. I'm in my 30s. Yeah. But. Uh, <laughs> this is late in life for us. We're, yeah, well, I, I rocked a mustache for a long time, and then I went for the beard. And then uh, definitely don't, I, I definitely don't actually, you know, model my beard off of Riker's. That's not what I'm doing. It's a good um, look. <laughs> But uh, I believe he's he directed some of the Picard episodes too. Sure did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the Picard episodes. He makes the thing. Are you are you gonna? Well, there's not enough Picard for you to delve into. It's still going. No, it's still ongoing. It's part of TNG though, officially. It, it, and Voyager. Officially, and Voyager. That's true. And Voyager. With uh, with Jerry Ryan reprising her role as Seven of Nine, currently as a, a Fenris Raider. Yes. Yes. We'll get into all those little juicy details in another episode, though, for sure. Yes. But it does... So the existence of Picard kind of comes against... Because I... uh, Because one of the the things you want to talk about was the finale, right? We'll get into the finale. Yeah. Uh, You know, did it address the show as a whole, for sure? But let me ask you this. Are are you a serial watcher? Like, and if, if so, how many times have you seen the series? times I've seen the series I don't I've completed it at least three times at least three times um for me I don't think I ever really watched it serially I did a few times actually yeah when they put it on streaming services yeah I was like holy you know I'm gonna watch every like I I watched every episode so I have done that a few times but when I originally watched it it was on VHS tapes that we taped off of television so I was watching episodes um kind of out of order but it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter for it's TNG. It's background, background, yeah. Because, well, cause you, unless you, it's you, a two-parter. Unless it's a two-parter. Yeah. And, like, you know, it, 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 you know, character arcs, are, are they go, you know, pretty broad. So you can miss an episode or even just have an episode on background and, like, still be with it. Yeah. You know, they, there's a, a theory in psychology about, like, how it's, you know, people who are, like, have a lot of high anxiety. Not high anxiety, but, which is the uh, fear of flying, but they have a high level of anxiety insofar as that, like, they watch things over and over again because of the predictability. 
Right. So like we're comfortable, like it's our it's our own like comfort blanket, TNG. Yes. Which I definitely feel that. Like yes. when I'm feeling down in the dumps, like I just I want to see Worf battle out some shit. Yeah. You know. I will say an Ascension episode definitely on deck. I will say the last time the last time I was I was sick and couldn't leave the house, I did watch a lot of TNG. Yeah. I watched it the way people, you know, the way I, I don't know if this is still like a popular thing, but the way that people. Um, the way that people used to used to watch The Office, I don't know if they still. There might be still people that use The Office as like a security blanket. I They'll do. Just, I, you know, <laughs> look, it's okay. Rough, it's rough to watch sometimes. It's rough to watch. The Office. Yes. Now, because do you of, watch it, the seasons where Andy is the boss. Do you watch those? I really do. Closely? I watch every episode. You watch those? I rock, oh my when, gosh. When I watch a show, oh I watch every You're episode. You're sick. Yeah, I'm a sick You're man. You're a sick individual. Yeah. I, yeah. There's no reason to watch those episodes. No, that's what she said. Um, so, uh, let me ask you this. Who is your favorite character and why is it Q? <laughs> Everybody loves Q. I love me some Q. Speaking of Picard, he's coming back. And he's, he's coming back in season he, two. He's, and they, the reason why they, he's aged is because he meets Picard always on his level. Yeah, yes. So, John Delancey, being an actual human and not an omnipotent misanthrope. <laughs> what a, uh, what a convenient yes. device. So convenient. For the writers. Much convenience, many Yeah, while. he's coming back in season two, and there's like a whole time travel aspect to it. Right. I, and look, I know you know this, because you watch a lot of sci-fi. No. <laughs> whenever, whenever you bring time travel into a series, it rarely, if ever, goes well. One of the few exceptions being Star Trek IV. And, uh, oh, but the whales? A Voyage Home. That movie is an excellent movie. Excellent movie. And it uses time travel in an excellent way. And uh, uh, Doctor Who. And then maybe also for uh, First Contact. But, because <clears throat> um, I forgot about First Contact, they also do time travel. Yes. Time travel is always a thing where they're like, it, it, it's like they ran oh, out of ideas, yeah, right. and they're like, they do, yeah, the First board, Contact the they board. do. Right. Yeah, I forgot yeah. they do time yeah, travel. Yeah, yeah. But that's also good. Yes. So, so well, and Voyager, speaking of time travel, like, you know, they have the time accord like not only the time accords but like the um temporal like not police please and thank you Ooh. Heck yeah. have some have some fries dude heck yeah all right yeah that's a um, uh, great choice from the from the replicator and you even told yeah. the replicator to put a knife into it yeah <laughs> stick a knife in it it's, <laughs> it's um the replicator. You think you it's think still, Star it's, Trek it's, nerds? It's, it's still made out of shit. It's you, think, still, it's <laughs> you think Star Trek? You think Star Trek nerds go out and they they call the uh, cooks replicators? Talk to the servers like that? Um, like you're at a replimat? Hey, hey, you need to fix your replicator because it doesn't taste. This doesn't taste. These protein, your protein resequencer is out of alignment, gay. Okay? All right, there but, with with your protein resequencer there. <laughs> but yes, yeah. Uh, Season two, Picard's gonna Q's gonna be back. There's time travel. I'm very weary. I'm very weary. Time travel can very often go very wrong. It, it more often than not goes wrong. As far I, as a plot device. Yeah, I'm gonna wait for it. I'm gonna binge it. So I'm gonna wait for it all to come. That's how you gotta do it. Yeah. That's it's 2021. Well, by the time you're it's bingeable 2022. Um, um, Q is a good Q is a cool character. He doesn't really make as many appearances as you think he would right. in the series. He makes like a few appearances, but he doesn't really... He well, doesn't... In, in DS9, he made but one. He got he his ass in... handed to him by Cisco, and then that was that was it. Yeah. He, in, in Voyager, he, um, Janeway was his, uh, his son's godmother, for Christ's sake. I feel like he makes more appearances in uh, Voyager than he does any in other. T in TNG? Yeah. yeah. No. no, no, especially not with him being in all in all good things. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like as essential, like bringing it, like, and, and I mean, like, dude, with the the trial and everything. I mean, I, he, he frames the episode. He frames the series and start to start to end. Right. Well, yeah, it's a bookend. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. He's definitely a bookend character. He's a bookend character. Okay. Um, yeah. So let me ask you this: Is Picard a good captain? Not a good person, but a good captain. I I personally think he's a good person. Okay. But there are times that. I don't think he's a particularly good captain. You don't think he's a good... No, I think he's a good captain. I, I think he's a great captain, but there uh -huh. are times that he's left me being like, 
but why didn't you just like this wouldn't have violated the prime directive you know what i mean like right well it's it's strange because picard's picard's like personality i don't know if you notice this but but picard's personality seems to shift throughout the series mm. he's a way he's way more like hardline straight edge in the first few seasons Oh, and then, for sure. as the series goes on, he kind of loosens up. You know, he kind of loosens up. He starts, like, maybe revealing parts of his personality. Yeah. And I think I think he is a good captain. Um, but there are definitely times where he might m- make some irrational decisions. Uh, definitely. Thank you much. I'm trying to think of... Great burger. I'm trying to think of something in particular... That would be one of his rash decisions. He can make like like emotional decisions, for sure. Well, okay. <clears throat> and this doesn't necessarily have to do with him being a captain, but when he's um, uh, dealing with the whole Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra situation mm-hmm. with the other captain of the race that they've rarely encountered and can't decipher their language because it's all out of like colloquialisms or whatever. It, 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 sometimes they draw it out too much. You know what I mean? It's like, it, was it that far of a stretch for the, him to realize that, like, okay, we're now on this planet together. There's obviously something hunting us. Here's a knife. Like, let's get down to business and, like, hunt this thing together as a sign of cooperation. Mm-hmm. You think he didn't pick up on that fast I, I don't think, yeah. Well, they needed an hour to fill and, and I think that that's that he's a victim of that sometimes. They needed an hour to fill, so like you know when, when he he comes around, you know like that episode where he's trapped with the children in the in the turbo lift, mm-hmm. you know, and like he needs their help to, like like that's you know, and we only see him once on Riza. Like we have to remember that every episode you see them is just a brief glimpse into right. their lives. Like he's obviously gone to shore leave other times, and like definitely he saw Jamaharon like. The first time he may have been reserved, and like that's when he met uh, Vash. Vash, yeah. Uh, you know, and they're, and they're looking for. Speaking of time travel, uh, also in that episode arc series with the two that come from like the future race of the 29th century, and they're like, yeah, like the Umad. Damn, dude. Yeah. Nerds. Yeah. Yeah, Vash. One of his. Uh, one of his great. New conquests. One of one of one of his great uh, love interests. One of the great yeah. like. One of those classic, like, yeah, this person's bad for me, but I can't get enough. Oof, I couldn't either. Picard knew, but he knew that. Yeah. That's the thing. He knew that from the beginning. He knew that Vosh was yes. in it for for her some kind of gain. Nefarious that, means. Nefarious means. Yeah. Not that she didn't not that she didn't want some booty. No, hey. And because to, that's to, to be honest, I, I find Picard, I find John Luke uh, very attractive. Yeah, I think he's a very handsome man. Yeah, you know, despite the chrome dome, you know, it's look, he wears it well. Yeah. Um, speaking of Vash uh, and DS Nine, once again, uh, she comes back and has a whole interaction with Quark, the bartender, uh, or, or or bar owner rather. Um, and there's there's a whole thing there where she goes to sell all of the things that she found off in the Gamma Quadrant. When she goes off with Q, so that's a TNG DS9 crossover tie. Yeah, yeah, because they go off together. Because, because she's uh, like, how can I pass up this opportunity as a pseudo archaeologist? I mean, Q Q takes. Uh, yeah. Q Q Q takes Picard's woman. He does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Seems petty for omnipresent. All right. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, what is your favorite episode of TNG? Uh, like if you were stuck on a desert island with one episode from each series, right? From each series, yeah. Um, Better make it a two-parter. <laughs> a two-parter, yeah. Well, there's some good two-parters in there. Um, I would say, I would say my favorite, my favorite. I can give you like three favorite episodes. Okay, that's good. Uh, one, one, which I think is like a classic. And they're and they're mostly Picard centered, okay. Which are always good episodes. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't blame you for that. 
Um, but the data, the data center ones, are uh, are also good. Like I forget the name of it, but there's one there's one that's really that's really really uh, really good. Although a lot of people don't like the one where he like um, tries to like learn comedy. Have you seen that one? Yeah, I love and, like, that one. But he's in the holodeck with like the 20th century. He's, like, in, he's in the holodeck with um, the comedian. Yeah, yeah, you know, like one of those guys. Uh, Joe Piscopo. Joe Piscopo. It is Joe Piscopo. Yes, it's Joe Piscopo uh, from SNL. SNL fame Joe Piscopo. Probably one of the few things that Joe Piscopo did outside of SNL. Mm. <laughs> and being that, men- was, that was of worth. That was, yeah. Because uh, Joe Piscopo, man, his career really didn't take off. But yeah, that one's, that one's always a fun one. Um, the Drumhead is a good one with the card. Remind me what what's the premise of that episode? The drumhead is the one where uh, Admiral Satie comes aboard because there's been um, sabotage. Yes. And they find an ensign that's that is like the Vulcan, Romul- part Romulan. But they don't know he's part Romulan. Well, they uncover that. They uncover it, that. It, it, yeah, it's it's like and a, so it's kind yeah. of like a manhunt, and it then totally eventually, is, yeah. eventually, Picard is put on trial. Mm-hmm. Because Picard is trying to, like, stop this mockery that's being made of the justice system. And then he gives a great speech. Great speech. Great speech. Known for great speeches. Great speech. And he quotes... When Data and Maddox, when Data's sentience is being brought under, you know, like... Oh, that's another one. That's that's another good one. I forget the name of that one, but that's the one... I forget, too. um, um, Bruce... uh, Bruce Max. Bruce Max. Which is another Picard tie-in. Picard tie-in. That episode's a whole time, although the Bruce Maddox character in TNG is kind of like a asshole. And then asshole. And Picard. But, but he and Data have yeah. a correspondence afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Which is which it gets elaborated on perhaps in two other episodes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the drumhead. I would say the drumhead uh, chain of command is another good one. Mm, great um, episode. And then one of my personal favorites, just because of just the whole situation and it's taking place in the TNG world. It's not exactly the most TNG episode in theory. That's the episode where Data gets a human girlfriend. Oh yeah. Oh, and One she, of my, she's a serial dater, Yes. Right? And she kind of gloms on to the personality of the she, person that she's dating. She, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she dates mostly unemotional men. Right. And so she starts dating Data, right. who's unemotional cuz he's a fucking android. Yeah. And one of my favorite scenes ever... I have a lot of favorite scenes in TNG, but one of my favorite scenes ever is when they break up. Mm. And... Is, is this hearkening to a breakup in your personal life? Is it like- no, it's just... It's <laughs> it's funny because she's she's trying to break up... She's trying to break up with Data, right? So they have a conversation. Yeah. He's not picking up the social cues. He's not picking up any cues. They have a conversation. She starts leaving the room. He, he stops her and he goes... Uh, I forget what her name is. But he stops her and he goes... Uh, um, is is our relationship, or, or, or no, are we no longer in a relationship? Right. And she goes, yes. And he goes, all right, well, I will delete the appropriate programs. Yeah. And she's like, that's all I was to you, savage. a series of programs? Yeah. That's so savage. That's, that's, that is savage. It's the most savage comeback. But it's, but it's oh. honest. It's honest. It's honest. it's honest. And then Spot jumps up on his lap, and that's the end yeah. of the episode. Oh, love Spot. Yeah. Spot, it's, Spot. it's a very nice episode. He's a good boy. But it's... it's He's it's, a pretty... Or she, she rather. It's funny a, because his data is trying to go... Cat. Data is trying the whole episode Data is trying to go at relationships right. logically right. and every time he fails yeah. and then because it's not an algorithm it's not an algorithm yeah. and then she tries to explain it to him like no 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 women want you to do this when you're supposed to be doing this and this right. so like it's so funny because it's like just an example of like how illogical human relationships are and just Data Data has so many good lines but and he, but he does pick up on a number of things there's this one time you know er, and he learns, right? Like, he and Jordy have an interaction where Jordy, like, kind of passe says, no, I don't want to talk about it or whatever that's going on. <clears throat> and, you know, Data goes, oh, okay, well, you know, cool. And then just walks off. And Jordy's like, well, actually, sometimes when people say that, that they mean. So he does pick up on a lot of things. And I think, you know, especially by the movies and, and most certainly by um, uh, All Good Things, when he's a professor at... Cambridge? Yes. Um, he's a person. 
he's seemingly a person. His his algorithms have, have, have developed and, and mutated to a point where they're where he's able to kind of mimic uh, to a higher degree human element, and we see that in Picard. And so far as that you know, this the the chick that we're following in the first few episodes, she's an android, and you wouldn't know, you wouldn't be any of the wiser. Right. All right. Yeah. What what is your least favorite, or not least favorite, but like one that you kind of skip over or gloss over when you're watching the series, like purposefully? Um. Well, season. I feel like. I feel like season two and maybe part of season three have have some some real stinkers. Um, one of the. Probably one of the universally agreed upon worst one worst episodes would be Shade, uh, Shades of Grey, mm. which is an episode they put together during the writer's strike, so it has a lot of uh, flashbacks. And it's like Riker gets like a brain thing, and he has to feel emotion to get rid of the brain thing, which right. doesn't really make any sense. And they're sense. trying to tune in the right, like, positive or negative yeah. emotion. They, they, feel, they, they determine that, like, the negative emotions are the ones that ultimately are, like, making it attract... The brain thing, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's very tossed in. It, it, yeah, it's even it's the people that in. wrote that, even the people that wrote the episode admitted that it was the worst episode. Like that's the universally agreed upon episode. Some other uh, episodes that you can skip over, uh, Sub Rosa, mm. which is when um, Crusher goes down to she goes down to a planet where her her. Grand, oh, her grandmother you like, was. You don't like that one. And then has like I think sex that one's hilarious. With a, ghost. with a ghost, yeah, is trapped in a candle. It's not great. Oh, what? I, okay. Well, uh, I mean, look to each their own. But I, well, I personally well, happen this? to think another, that's a another episode hilarious could, episode. Another episode you can skip over: Cost of Living. You remember that one? Refresh so me. So that's the one where it's 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 during the they had a, a subplot during some of the episodes where uh, Worf and uh, Diana. We're, we're dating. Worf and Troy were dating. And then so there's a part where... But uh, she's she's at the warp entrance, like the warp generator entrance, mm-hmm. where that other empath, or tell empath had... Okay. Yes, I know well, the one. Her, her, she's feeling the jealousy and what have you from like this... Well, it's the one where her... Where phantom. Her, uh, Loxwana comes on. Loxwana Troy comes on. And then her and Alexander team up to, like, <laughs> pull hijinks on Troy and Worf. Like, they're in a jac- there's a scene where they're in a jacuzzi. In the mud jacuzzi, that the mud one. Jacuzzi. Yes. The mud jacuzzi. Yes. With the jugglers and yes. the bubbles. And Alexander, who supposedly is a Klingon boy, and Lakshwana, who is he's, an he's adult a, empath, yeah. are in a, a mud jacuzzi together, clinking glasses and making plans. Like, it's a, ter- it's a terrible subplot. When Worf's quaff hits the mud just slightly I was just like <gasps> yeah oh no is he about to freak out but yeah it's 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 like cheesy in the in in the wrong way so the next generation deals a lot with the concept of sentience and sovereignty there are instances throughout the show where morals in the prime directive come under heavy scrutiny uh, do you think that Starfleet is a reasonable model for a post-scarcity society because there seems to be like a militaristic level or at least a hierarchy involved at the very fundamental like base of it. Um, is it a craft shoot? Is it plausible? Is it... Well, it is interesting that a post-scarcity society would be so militaristic. It is very interesting that that's like the future because... Because I know we all watch Star Trek and we're just like, ah, oh, man, I wish we could just be like that and then everybody would just, like, get along. But then it's also, like, all, everyone we're watching, everyone we're watching is in Starfleet and they're all serving on starships. They're not on Earth. They're not chilling. They're serving on a starship, exploring a galaxy. And, yeah, that's really exciting. But it really, it seems like some people don't really, they would rather be doing something else. Yeah. And this theme comes up a few times, <clears throat> insofar as like uh, Reginald Barkley, Lieutenant Barkley. Yeah. He, he's Lieutenant Broccoli. Broccoli, that's <laughs> right. Even Picard. Picard, Picard, Picard calls him Broccoli. He does right to his face. Yeah. Talk about savage. But that's a that's a Freudian slip. It'll happen. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you know. It, People who are just like lackluster or just, you know, 
in Voyager, they take a, a stance in so far as like adding in these themes of the human psyche. You know, like uh, Suter, who was a Beta Z. He. Uh, oh, great! Yeah, let's let's raise the music. But, you know, is, but this is this is what it is. This, this is, is one of the dangers. This is, yeah, this is what we chose. This is the place we chose. My father's place. Of being out in, in public. Southeast Portland. But you know what? We love to be I'm here. I'm surprised no one's come in and started talking to me. Yeah, I am too. Um, usually people come up off of the street and just start talking to me, so I don't know what it is. But yeah, so... It, I, I, I think it's... You know, look, it has its potential. Nothing's perfect, right? Like, yeah. Because we are looking through it through the lens of our modern lives. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a... I don't want to say rose colored glasses because these are not rose colored glasses that I'm looking through. But. It's it seems like it seems like it's a future where everyone it's not everyone, but most people are interested in exploring the universe and exploring space and interested in like Well this is also presuming that all of Earth's problems have been solved. Solved. Poverty, scarcity, hunger, yes. Sorry, no, it's okay. Um, What's up? I'm leaving. Would you mind oh, paying? no, not at all. Cool. I'll get your iced tea. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's the least I can do. You mean my iced tea, Earl Grey? Yeah, er, yes. Ice. No, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, Earl Grey's tea. Tea, Earl Grey, iced. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. All right. That's a future lesson to anybody listening. If you want to get on this show, I will pay for one drink. There you go. There, there. Now there's incentive. There's some incentive. So we got into this a little bit earlier, but you've watched other Trek, you know, from the '90s besides TNG. So right. like, you've watched Voyager, Voyager. You've watched DS9. DS9. You've seen the movies. Yes, seen all the movies. Do any of them top TNG as a series? Um, I would, I would say. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say top because it's hard to top, like, because perfection. If, no, yeah, <laughs> but the crew of the crew of TNG, like, I would say the only series that really comes close because I, I would say DS Nine is a, is a different. It's a different sci-fi series in terms of like, it's involved. What, what it dealt with and like where it's going and the characters and all of that. Um, it's pretty big. Yeah, and it's not. It's not. It's not a starship not starship it's a space station it's not as exploratory and um i would say the only series that really came close would be voyager i would say voyager came close in a different well, way which is the antithesis of ds9 right insofar as they're flung seventy-five thousand light years away mm-hmm. by the caretaker spoiler alert for the voyager episode coming up <laughs> well that's the that's in the first episode very first episode. Um, so if you haven't seen that, then why are you even listening to this Yeah, podcast? I would say Voyager comes close as far as, like, the crew and their, like, idiosyncrasies and personalities. But yeah. it's it's really, I mean, for me at least, just because I was raised on it, it's really hard to top uh, the next generation. Yeah. Also, Voyager shout-out, Reginald Barkley, Lieutenant Broccoli, pivotal member of the Getting Them Home effort. Yes, Yes, actually, yeah. Barclay has a nice. Um, I would say like ten episode arc. He's got. He's in a lot of episodes. He has a nice. He's little, also in the final episode. He has a nice little redemption. Great redemption. A little nice little redemption. Yeah. TNG. I mean, he does. They leave him kind of feeling like a pervy dude. Yeah, he he does kind of save the day. Although they also kind of did that to Jordy a little bit. They did that to Jordy. Which I didn't like that. I didn't like them doing that to him. He didn't deserve that. I mean, he did they made, not deserve that. They, they had a whole episode where he fell in love with the hologram version of somebody. Of, and was, of Professor Brahms. And then was really creepy towards him. Su- Why'd they yeah. make him like that, dude? I don't know. You know, it, it did not feel good either when I was seeing it. Uh, Lavar <laughs> Burton is a national treasure. They he should is. never have done that to him. Mm-hmm. And you know, but also, I, I think that he actually, uh, you know, on the other side of that coin. He is the one best to frame that kind of uh, sense of rejection or awkwardness. You know, like, he does it in such a way that it's meaningful. Yes. So, I would say out of the cast and crew to 
encounter that kind of uh, you know situation, LeVar Burton was the best to handle conveying it in a way that people can relate to and also empathize with. It was it it was fantastic. He handled it fantastically. But I think as far as like crew personalities and who who could that happen to, I think if you would have made Riker fall in love with the hologram, I think we all they did. They did. Oh, yeah, Minuet. They did. Oh yeah. I, so I guess. And then they like, later used that against him, and that's how he figured out that he was in that uh, uh, Romulan. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, holodeck, or you know, the so I guess. So I guess crap. they were like, we can't do that to Riker again. Do, we're no. gonna have to do that to uh, Jordy. Jordy. Jordy's gonna have to. LaForge. Right. Fall in love with the hologram. Yeah. They shouldn't have done him that. God way. love him. But uh, all right, so. Did you like the end of the series? And by that I mean all good things. You know, I, I thought it was a relatively meaningful tribute to the relationships built in the arc of the show as a whole, bringing it back from start to finish. So, what, what was your impression of how they dealt with the ending of the show? Uh, I thought it. I thought it was a good bookend um, to the series. Although now, now that Picard exists. We kind of have to. We kind of have to pretend that all good things didn't happen. Right. Well, it, it, it happened, but it happened in the arc of like the ending, basically, of Picard's uh, captainship with the Enterprise before he became an admiral. Right. Okay. Well, because at some point he was an admiral and then an ambassador. That's at the end of when in his older self in all good things he is a, he is a former ambassador. He's even beyond that point. So, like, you know, when we pick up in Picard, presumably, he's in that stage of his life, even though the aging makeup was fucking garbage. Yes. Uh, because he looks better now than he did, presumably, you know, in the aging. But how do, how do they, um, how do they explain Data being around, though, if that's supposed to be later? Well, Data's an android. Yeah. He, I mean, as well, I don't need to tell you, but, but but what I mean by that is that like I mean he, he's his age is and he, he even says this in a number of a couple of episodes his age is indeterminable, you know like like is is he immortal for all intents and purposes? I mean, so long as he can self generate electricity, right? But in Picard, he clearly he he had some sort of malfunction that led to his demise. Yeah, he had, well, but he has like a. Um, he he wants to be, he wants to like essentially die, right? In Picard, yeah. So if he's around later, we would have to assume that's not Data. That might be uh, lore. Lore. Okay. Well, lore was because that's ulti- the only part. That's the only plot hole. If you put Picard up, did with, they did they finally dismantle? So because so, Data puts lore down. Lore's in the archives. He's oh he's in the archive oh yeah, yeah that's right they pull pieces of them. right they pull out the drawer and that's lore yeah what about B four could be B four but he wasn't he was never reass- he was never mentioned other than in passing or as a framing device he might also be in the archives I wouldn't put it past them I, but but were they ever able to recover B 4s frame and 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 uh, and parts because when Data comes across lore in Sung's lab, and they reassemble him, and then he later kills Sung, which is also Brent. Shout out to Brent Spiner. Brent Spiner is an amazing goddamn actor. Yeah, he he played so many characters. And and in Independence Day, the kooky Area <laughs> Fifty One Doctor. And he was in Independence Day. Yes, as well as like a lot of things. A lot of things. He was in Friends, so or not Friends. Um, uh, Cheers. And yeah. there's another thing. There's a meme that says Cheers was a holodeck simulation because <laughs> uh, 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 um, uh, Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. And I forget her name, but uh, she plays his his ex wife uh, in in the series, and also a doctor in. Oh yeah, she tries to doinkles Riker when he goes undercover. Uh, in yet another violation of the Prime Directive. Is, is going undercover as a species a violation of the Prime Directive? Because what we're really doing is uh, getting into, you know, subversion. Yeah. So subversion is a heavy component of this, 
insofar as, at the end of the day, they're violating the Prime Directive without anybody else knowing. Thank you. So, you know, uh, if, a tree fall, does, if a tree falls in the woods... But you have to note no it down in the log. You have to note it down in the ship's log. It all or, comes down to the ship's log. Or, or if, you, if you don't note it down, then you're, you're, you're breaking procedure. Yeah. Yeah. So you 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 have to follow procedure regardless of you know if a tree falls in the woods. Yeah, you're 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 um, tarnishing you're tarnishing your duty if you uh, <laughs> don't note it down in the ship's log. Yeah. Or, or yeah, or your personal log at least. At least at the you have very to log least. It. For you some have, reason, you have to log. You have to log all it. of it. A lot of logging in the Which future. Which is a little bit of a totalitarian kind of like fascist it thing is, that you have yeah, to do. Right. You have to log everything. Your personal log. Supreme the oversight. Log. You know how many logs there are? There's a lot of logs. Seeming a very Terran empire. A lot of logs. With the logging. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they read your logs to you if you ever get put up into a tribunal. They do. Mm-hmm. They're very fond of that. Yes. So, very fond well, of logs. It's all on record from here on out to the future. It's all on record. Chris, what's your Instagram? My Instagram is at Creus. C-H-R-I-E-E-S. Let's get that one more time. At Creus. C-H-R-I-E-E-S. And you also host an open mic here in Portland. I do every Wednesday, Captain Ankeny's, uh, six p.m. starts at six p.m. Captain Ankeny's. It's cool. free. Anybody can come out and watch it, or if you want to try comedy, you could also do that. Anybody can come out. Uh, where can we see you perform next? Where am I going to be next? Um, I'm going to be at the Star. Wait, where's my thing? The Star Star something. Hold on. It's in my calendar. Let me look at it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's in his calendar. Star gonna, Day. Star Day. I'm going to be at the Star Day, December 9th. I might have some. I might be, have more stuff before then. Who knows? Well, check out his I, IG. I have a website. He's got a website. What's the website? ChrisHudson.co. You can find all the shows there. That's Hudson like the river. Yes, like the river that Sully Sullenberg landed on. Oh, miracle on the, it's the miracle on the yes. Hudson. Miracle on the Hudson. Yeah. I, that's, that's what I call it every time I have sex. Yeah, I was going to say that's your nickname in the bedroom. Chris, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Uh, all you other truckies out there. Engage. Engage. Uh, shout out shout out Shady Pines Radio. Shout out to Brian and Callie. Uh, a lot of people knew me uh, for about a year as DJ Rat Bainbow every Saturday night, There's eight, a name. 8 to 10 p.m. PDT for Cruise Wave Vapor Synth. Ooh. I got super heavy back into comedy and I had to quit doing the show, but shout out Shady Pines Radio. Y'all rock. Love a good synth radio. Cruise Wave Cruise Vapor Synth. Wave, vapor Synth. I did Vapor Wave Synth Wave. The uh, only one I know is Calm Trues. Chill Wave, Pop Wave. I play Calm Trues. Calm Trues is, he's pretty red. He's red. Cool. Yeah. Hell yeah. Shout out Shady Pines. They're Shout good. out. They're good peeps. Indeed. Thank you, Chris Hudson. It's now time for your water cooler fact. The crystalline entity, that nefarious snowflake, what's hurtling through space and whatnot, eating up all life in its path? What exactly is it? Where did it come from? How could lore communicate with it? What we can say is that this is the first attempt at CGI for the show, which was risky for a weekly television show reboot slash continuation that viewers still weren't sure about. In the long run, the investment paid off, with the crystalline entity having multiple appearances throughout the series, ending with its ultimate demise in Season 5, Episode 14, Silicon Avatar, at the hands of Dr. Kilamar. The final tragedy, besides all the life taken by the entity, was that it was only trying to survive, and I don't believe that it was inherently evil. Much like whales and their mass consumption of life and krill, the, cons- the crystalline entity was a largely solitary life form that traversed the galaxy in search of sustenance. We humans and most sentient life just happened to be in that food category. Here's a thought for the day. Did everyone on the Enterprise Bridge speak their native tongue? And the Universal Translator was just constantly working in order to serve the correct translation in real time to each individual? Definitely something to think about. Now, before we sign off today, I would like to acknowledge our sources for this episode, including not only my personal knowledge and that of my research-slash-life partner, Amanda, 
but that of the Trekkies over at StarTrek.com, the nerds of Reddit, Wikipedia, of course, memory-alpha.fandom.com, IMDB, Collider.com, and CBR.com. Not to mention the incalculable amount of hours my wife and I have put into binging the show across a number of platforms. Thank you to the folks over at Shady Pines Radio. You're awesome, and we appreciate this platform and the effort you put in to providing quality content to the masses. As always, thanks for tuning in, folks. Have a beautiful day, and live long and prosper.